morning as we think about Luke chapter 24. I invite you to turn in your Bibles there. There might be one on chair in front of you or if you have a phone. A lot of people have their Bibles on their phone uh, these days. And uh, we're going to look at Luke 24. We've been traveling through Luke here this last uh, quarter, last several months. And uh, we've landed on chapter 24 here um, today. So I'm just going to pray and ask God's blessing as we hear his word. Father, speak to us now through uh, your word. God, as we study it, your holy and perfect word, um, thank you for the uh, truth that it speaks to us of, of Christ's resurrection now. Uh, enliven our hearts as we hear and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's look at the first uh, 12 verses here of Luke 24. It says, but on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home, marveling at what had happened. So this is the historical account of Luke, and, and it says in the front end of this book that we studied many, many weeks ago that he was careful to give an account of all that, that happened. And this is the aim of Luke here, is to demonstrate conclusively the Easter story, that Jesus is risen from the dead. This, this is Easter, right? It's not about bunnies and eggs and peeps, which I find disgusting. And, uh, but it's about this story of the women coming to the tomb, and they found this tomb empty, empty. This is the historical Account angels, they call their men. Angels are always very masculine in the scripture. They're called angels a little later in this chapter. But he is risen, they said. And, and notice, notice that the women were the first witnesses to the tomb. Isn't that interesting? See, in the first century, women were not allowed to testify in court. Their, their, their witness was considered inadmissible. They were not reliable in the first century way of, of thinking. And so if you were going to make up a story... You wouldn't put women in the story like this. This shows the evidence of the truth of what is being said. But the tomb was empty, and no one could come up with the body, and they would have loved to come up with the body. The Pharisees would have loved to have shown a dead Jesus, but they couldn't. The Roman government would have loved to have shown a dead Jesus because they wanted just peace and be able to collect taxes, and this was a disruptive thing for them. And the disciples... Of all the people who knew, they knew the truth, many of them died as martyrs for the witness and the testimony of living for Jesus. 
And so person after person in the story of chapter 24 of Luke encounters Jesus giving witness to his resurrection. The two on the road to Emmaus in verses 13 to 35, we won't spend time there today, they encountered him. Peter in particular with this very demanding personality said, I have seen the Lord. And all the disciples that we'll see here in a moment when Jesus stepped into that room with them present gave witness to this reality that Jesus was risen. That's the historical account. Now I want to talk this morning briefly about three reasons why the resurrection is good news. It's called the gospel, and the gospel means good news. That Jesus died for our sins, was buried, and rose from the dead. And, and that's called the gospel, which means good news. So I want to give three reasons now this morning why the resurrection is good news. First of all is this, that we can live a life of peace, not fearing death. Look at verses 36 to 40 here, it says. And as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them. He came into the room where the disciples were and he said, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they had saw a spirit. Jesus walks into the room with these disciples and he says, peace to you. The disciples were unsettled. They were frightened. They didn't know what was going on. Is this true? Could it be? Is this Jesus? But Jesus dealt with their unsettled spirit like he does with ours and offers to us. When our life is turned upside down, when things happen that we don't expect, and we're looking for what are we going to hold on to in life, what can I truly believe and what can I trust, Jesus comes into that situation, into that room, and into our lives and says, peace, peace to you. See, Christ is seen as the great champion and the conqueror of all things that steal and rob our peace. God intends for us as people to live a life full and abundant and free and blessed. And the world and our own behavior and actions rob us of peace. And Jesus steps into that and says, I can bring you peace. He defeated everything that keeps us from living a life that is full. He says, I've come to give you life and to give it to the full. And furthermore, not only defeat everything that steals our peace, but he, he defeated the enemy of death, that great last enemy that unsettles all of us. I mean, life just ends too quickly, doesn't it? Like, I'm feeling it these days. I've gotten a lot grayer than I was when I started preaching, you know? And, and, and my back hurts a little bit more in the morning, you know? And... and Things just kind of, hairs are growing in places I don't want them to grow. And all these things that remind me that life is moving toward an end. But Jesus said, I have dealt with that. I have dealt with that. I have defeated death. And that those who believe in me will never die. It says in John eleven twenty five, 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die... Yet shall he live, and everyone that lives and believes in me shall never die. So we need not fear death when we believe in Jesus. That now, when we die, we, it is a promotion to eternal life. Paul said it this way, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I then get ushered into the presence of God. Now Jesus was trying to communicate this lesson to them. And he was trying to help them understand that he was to rise from the dead. I love verse 44. It says, 
Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. I kept trying to explain this to you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. That Jesus used the Old Testament to show and to describe to them that he must rise from the dead. I, I mean, I would have loved to have heard this lesson, would you not? Think about what, what would he be telling them out of the Old Testament? Jonah? Children? What happened to Jonah? He got eaten up by what? A fish. How long was he in the fish's belly? Three days. Who does that remind you of? Jesus, right? And he comes blasting out of the fish, and Jesus blasts out of the grave, right? Or gets barfed out of the fish, I guess. <laughs> or what about David and Goliath? What did David do to Goliath, children? I didn't chop off his head. Well, he did eventually, yeah. <laughs> That's good. What did he do? Threw a slingshot, hit him right in the head. Then he chopped off his head. <laughs> David's a picture of Jesus. Because Jesus conquered Goliath, who represented all evil and all that threatens our peace, right? And Jesus takes out the Goliaths in our life destroys evil, conquers the threat of death. And what happened to the Israelites that brought them peace? Right? Brought them freedom that they could now live. And so all the Old Testament paints this beautiful picture that Jesus would come and conquer sin and conquer death and conquer evil and set us free to live for him. That's the first reason for the resurrection. There's a second one, and that is this. That we can live a life of purpose, sharing God's love. Let me read verses 46 to 48. It says, And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And you, he says to his disciples, are witnesses of these Things. All that we celebrate this weekend and all that we celebrate today is a celebration of his love for us. The Bible tells us in Romans 5.8 that God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is a message of God's great love. And 2 Corinthians 5.14 says this love should consume us. This love should control us. It is to be enjoyed and celebrated that we now as believers in Christ walk in his love and in his favor as his special children. That God is for us in all things and that we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. This is the message of Christ's resurrection. That he loves us so much. You ever wake up in the morning and you're kind of discouraged and afraid of the day and what might be coming at you, or you might have to stand up in front of hundreds and speak to them or something like that, you know? You know what you dwell on? You think of God's love for you and his favor for you and that he is with you and that he is for you. He loves you. And so we are to be consumed and controlled by this love, but then we're also to share it. We're told just a few verses later that we are his ambassadors of that love. 
We are like river people, the, the, the spirit of God's love flowing through us, out to others. We are conduits of his love to those around us day by day. We have the great privilege as believers in Jesus of sharing his love in everything we do throughout the day. I was walking through our neighborhood yesterday and just saying hi to people and inviting them to church and, and uh, showing God's love to them as best I knew how, you know, just caring for them. Whether we go to restaurants or grocery stores or the gym or the golf course, we are to share God's love. Christians can have this reputation of being against everything and negative about so much, but we're to be hopeful and loving and kind above all people. Uh, one of my very dear friends from decades ago, I called him yesterday. He's in his 80s now. He's been a mentor of mine, and he was the CEO of a large manufacturing company, actually, for many years. And, and I loved his purpose statement for this company that he led. And he unashamedly said, our purpose in this company is to share the love of God with all people. Isn't that great? And I saw him serve people through the products that they made, that helped build interstates, and to give money away, thousands and thousands, to everyone he knew that was in need. He was there to share the love of God. And that's what we're called to do. In everything we do, whatever God's calling in our life, we are to share his love. People are looking for purpose. They're looking for a reason to live. Something to make their life meaningful. And there's lots of good causes that we can give ourselves to. But nothing will satisfy our hearts until we give ourselves to be people who spread love. And particularly the love of God. In fact, the Bible tells us if Christ is not risen, if there's nothing more to live for than just what's in this world, then just eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. Right? That's what it says. If there's nothing else to live for, just pursue whatever selfish pleasure you want. But because of the resurrection, we have an eternal purpose of sharing God's love. Well, finally, there's a third reason, and that is this. <clears throat> third reason why the resurrection is good news is that we can live a life of power, walking in God's joy and blessing. Look at verse 49. It says, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And, and this is one of Luke's big themes. He, he wrote Luke, of course, and then he wrote the book of Acts, and He's always speaking of the power that we have to do the things God is calling us to do. To walk in the joy and blessing of walking in God's ways. Romans 8.11 says that we have a power by the Spirit to walk in a new life. The resurrection power is ours. And most people, maybe all in this room, want to live life well. They want to be productive. They want to make a difference. Most of us want to be selfless and even serve others. And yet we find it so difficult, don't we? So difficult to not be selfish. And if we're honest, we know that there's something that stands in the way from us serving and living as we would like. And the Bible tells us that the problem is that we are sinners. We're by nature, handed down from Adam all the way down through the train and to us. And, and we harm people and we harm ourselves and and the worst thing about it, we can't stop doing it. That's the problem. All of us, I think, 
have experienced the, the powerlessness that we have against some things in our life that we wish we didn't do. Why, I mean, why do I keep on lying? Why do I keep on overeating? I know better. Why do I keep erupting in anger? Why do I keep looking at porn? Why do I keep going back to that unhealthy relationship? Why do I keep procrastinating in that homework I'm supposed to do? I still have nightmares about that in my college years, you know? It's still plaguing me. Why do we do these things? So Romans 6.4 tells us now that we are new. We have the power to say no to those things that hold us back. This is so important. We need to be free. It says we were buried, therefore, with him in baptism into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. In Christ, we've been given the power to beat those things that hold us. We have been raised to new life with him when we believe. And no matter how dark our past has been, it is put behind us. And we are forgiven and we're given the power to overcome it, as Troy and Jen testified this morning. In Christ, there is resurrection power to live as we would like to live. Only Jesus, only Jesus satisfies the deepest cravings of our heart. Only Jesus can meet our heart's need. He is better than everything the world offers. He alone gives us the power to defeat sin as we turn our hearts toward him. So you and I need something to satisfy the cravings in our heart. Our hearts demand it, and we try all kinds of things, but they will not settle until we turn them to Jesus. It really is a battle of pleasure. What is the greater pleasure? Living for Jesus or giving ourselves to everything in the world to try to satisfy that heart hunger? It's a little bit like, maybe, maybe you students are, are familiar with this, but this, the bigger, better hunt. Have you ever seen, done this? I was a youth pastor for many years. We always did this bigger, better hunt every year. We'd have groups of kids, like six, eight, ten groups of kids, and we'd give them a clothespin and go, okay, go out into town and trade that clothespin for something different, something bigger and better, right? And then you get something better from one house, and you go to the next one, and you trade it up, and you keep trading up and try to get the biggest and the best. That's the whole goal. And I've seen kids marching through town with cars and couches, and they really trade it up. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. You just never know. I don't know if they give those things back sometimes. Like, that was a car. Like, how did you get that? Did they give that to you? But the end of that search for bigger and better is the person of Jesus. Our hearts will not settle until we settle with him. We're told in Psalm 16, 10, and 11, first of all, speaking of the death and resurrection, he says, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. This is in Psalm. This is a thousand years before Christ. Nor will you let your Holy One see corruption. There we go again in the Old Testament, speaking of Christ and his resurrection. But then he says this, what happens to us, you make known to me the path of life, and in your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. <laughs> the greatest pleasure, the pleasures our heart were made for, is found when we give our life to Jesus and walk with him and serve him. The pleasures of this world, they're delightful at a moment. They are or we wouldn't do it, right? 
right? Given to things that aren't good for us. But the pleasures of Jesus will last forever when we give our heart to him and ask him to fill that empty place within us. The Bible tells us in Revelation 3.20 that he stands at the door and he knocks. And he says, will you let me in? Will you give me that center place in your heart? Will you look to me for pleasure in life? Will you look for me for satisfaction and purpose? Will you turn to me? Will you choose me? Here I am, knocking and asking to come in. And so this is the gospel. It's spoken well in Romans 10.9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be given a new life. You will be given a new purpose. You will be given eternal life. Will you invite him in? Confess him as Lord of your life, believing that he is resurrected from the dead. Let's take a moment and pray. So as we come quietly before God now this morning, is our opportunity to respond to him. He's knocking. He wants to have that place in your life. And I'm just inviting you to invite him in. If you've never asked Jesus to come in and have center place in your life, this is a good day to do it. If you've never confessed that you've pursued the things of the world above Jesus, this is the time to do it. So let's just take a moment, quietly. Or maybe the last months or years you've been just running away from him for whatever reason. You have turned your back and gone the other way. He loves you. He is gracious. He is kind. He invites you to bring him into the center. And so let's just take this moment to do grateful that you love us so much. We're thankful that Jesus died and rose from the dead. We're thankful that he stands at the door and knocks, that he alone is the one who can satisfy our hungry hearts. And so, God, um, we give our lives to you. This is the day that you're turning to Jesus. You can pray a prayer like this. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you that rose from the dead and you're alive. I give my life to you. Thank you for saving me. Lord Jesus, we celebrate your resurrection this day. You are alive. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.